I, I was just thinking, I don't know, was I the only one? I know I wasn't because I could see your response. But just doesn't the presence of the Lord just Amen. kind of rich here today, you know? Amen. And so I, I remember we used to sing this song, Reach Out and Touch the Lord as He Passes By. And people quit singing that. And pastors, I've heard pastors, don't sing that because it's like Jesus comes by and if you miss Him, you missed it. <laughs> Oops, I missed Him. <laughs> he came by. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd he go? <laughs> He's always present. But, but, but don't you think there are times and in, in places and environments where, where you can receive something from God, where God can do something? And I, I feel like today, you know, I feel like this is that day for somebody. I really, really do. I, 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 and so be in tune to that. In a moment, I want to share a word with you from the Lord, and hopefully, I believe this from the Lord, and, 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 and all, but, but, but think about, you came here today, and God had a very special purpose for you being here today, and you're the, you're the reason we're here today. You're not here because I need a place to perform or preach, or they need a place to sing. We're here because of you. Because you have a need for more of God. And you have a need for God to heal something in your life. Let him do it today. How about that? Yeah. We, we, had a, we had a wonderful week. Uh, we, we, uh, part of the pastoral team and myself, we do this every year. We take a couple of days and go away and we talk about the sermons for a year. Talk a year's worth of sermons and special days. And I, I'm just so excited about this fall. And what I believe God's going to do at Bethany Community Church. And, and it's just, you know, we spend as much time talking about the big picture and discipleship and, and helping one another be formed to be more like Christ as we did about the sermon titles. And some really important conversations. This song that they just did about the family, the family. We talked a lot about the family. And we talked a lot about what do we want to do to help families, to really support families. And the world that we live in today uh, you need a lot of support as a family. Your parents need a lot of support right now. And so we're, we're, we're going to do that. And we're going to really, we're going to really, we got a big vision Sunday in October. We're very, very looking, much looking forward to. So just, just, would you just, when you have your private prayer, pray about BCC and the fall and the winter and what God's going to do here. Isaiah, good to see you. Uh, uh, where are you now? Where are you stationed now? You just got out of the Marines. Well, congratulations. Thank you for your service. Isaiah Blaze. We stay in touch occasionally, text and Facebook and talk, and we're really happy to see you here today. God bless you. Uh, okay, uh, let's have a little fun today. This is my birthday. I can do what I want, right? <laughs> so uh, I can get my computer to come on. Oh, there we go. Uh, so I'm going to call this a message to my younger self today. And uh, I think we got a few pictures of my younger self. <laughs> uh, that, that's me. When I was, I was a youth pastor, and we were having a big, uh, kind of like paint wars that you guys did the, uh, this Wednesday night. We were doing something like that in Tampa, Florida. And uh, so next picture, that's long enough on that one, believe me. And that's my uh, Napoleon Dynamite uh, <laughs> impression there. And uh, I, think we're at a, I think we're at a Jesus Festival in Orlando, about 30,000 people at a Jesus Festival. That's also when I was a youth pastor. 
I was not a very good youth pastor, by the way. I was not cut out to be a youth pastor. So I admire youth. You're, ta- you're staying a little long on these, but it's just, it's just painful. That's me again. Young preacher fell. Well, I look like I'm 16 years old, huh? And I actually did start preaching when I was 14. I preached the first sermon when I was 14 years old. And... Um, there were some good things about that, and there's some things I wouldn't recommend about that. <laughs> uh, so, let's get into it. One thing I tried to do is see life as a school, and let the events of my life teach me to be a better person, more at peace, greater lover of Jesus. And at the end of my race, I want to leave a legacy for everybody, especially my kids, a legacy that glorifies God. Uh, I've tried to not to let myself get stuck, and... Um, I read a book by Mark Batterson a few years ago that kind of shaped this phase of my life. I'm talking about from age 40 to today I'm 66. How did I get that old? How do you get this old? 66, wow. It's one number short of the mark of the beast. (laughs) Uh, But I read a book by Mark Batterson called Reverse Mentoring. And it really opened up my eyes that I, I needed to listen to the, the younger generation. I mean, I need to listen to the older generation as well, of course. And we, we, we respect the past, and we honor the past, and respect the past, but we all know we're going to the future. That's the only way you can go. You, there's only one direction you can travel, is to the future. Unless you're, you're Doc Emmett Brown and Marty McFly, and then... then and you know how to, you have a flux capacitor and an old DeLorean, <laughs> and you know how to generate 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> Isn't that a great movie? That is a great movie. That is an awesome, I love that scene where, where they're discovering how to create 1.21 gigawatts. So if you know how to do that, then you can maybe go back to the future, but I don't know how to do that. But I read that book and it really it, 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 it impressed me. If I, if I don't want to become obsolete, I've got to listen. I've got to not only love the next generation, but I've got to respect them and honor them, just like I honor the older generation. And I've really tried to do that. I'm talking about the 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 exennials, people born after 1977 to 1983, millennials, people born from 1991 to 1996, Generation Z. People born from 1997 after, and now we have, you know, we have another group coming. Those born after 2010 are Generation Alpha. And uh, I, I, uh, a friend of mine was telling me a story, and later I went to check it out. But uh, uh, Toby Keith, who's a country, country uh, western singer, uh, was playing golf one day with Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood was, uh, I believe, 89 at the time. And they get done playing golf, and Clint Eastwood, he says, so, you know, w- what are you doing? Toby Keith says, Clint Eastwood says, well, I'm flying to Mexico tomorrow to shoot a movie. And he goes, you're 89 years old. What are you doing going to Mexico sh- sh- shooting a movie? And uh, h- how do you do it? H- how do you keep going every day and being so alive? And here's what Clint Eastwood said, this classic line that I use all the time now. He said, the key is don't let the old man in. <laughs> and, and so I'm going through life I'm, I'm to that place where I, I have to consciously not let the old man in when I catch myself talking about my doctor's appointments 
my, my injections and therapies and all this stuff. I catch myself, oh, I'm letting the old man in, you know. So since today is my 66th birthday, I'd like to share with you four things I would like to, ha- I'd like to tell my younger self. Now, th- this is mostly corrective, and, th- and this is about things I would have done differently. I, I wish I'd done better. And, uh, of course, I, there's some things I believe um, I did, did well. I, I married well. I married up. Amen. Right? I, I definitely married up. And uh, I came to Bethany Community Church. There's a bunch of things I did well. But uh, Proverbs 9, nine says, Give instructions to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will inc- increase, circle increase, in learning. God wants me to keep learning. Uh, we're commanded to grow up as we grow old. 1 Corinthians 13.11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child when I became a man. I put away childish ways. I like this definition of maturity uh, that I found. Maturity, it doesn't always come with age. In fact, it's deeper than age. It's about the way you see and understand things, the way you consider others, the way you react the things you value, the things you entertain, the way you represent yourself and others as an adult. Everyone grows old, but not everyone is growing up. I love Edwin Lewis Cole. Um, Edwin Lewis Cole is one of these underappreciated guys to me. He was a great leader. He, He led a men's movement before Promise Keepers, but Promise Keepers kind of buried him because it was so big. But Ed Cole had these great quotes, and one of them was this. Maturity doesn't come with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. And so today's sermon, if you want to give it another title besides the one I gave it, today's sermon is really about learning to take responsibility. And it's what I, at times, didn't do as well as I should have. And I look back. And so that's what today's message is about. It's about taking Taking responsibility for your life. Taking responsibility for your emotions. Taking responsibility for your joy. Taking responsibility for your wisdom. Taking responsibility for your productivity under God, of course. So let's get into it. So to my younger self, number one, I would say, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Psalms 139, 13. Says, for you created my inmost being. You created my inmost being. That's how I'm shaped personality-wise and psychologically. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. The, the psalmist was talking about our physical being, all right, but he's also our psychological makeup. I, I, I was taught early to praise God. And I... I and I, I came out of a, the Pentecostal womb. <laughs> and so we were taught to praise God. I, I, I learned to exalt Christ and glorify Him with praises. I, I, and that's one thing I felt this morning. I felt I looked over here at all of you and I said, we're starting to act kind of Pentecostal around here. This is great. Uh, you know, may, I, may, I may have to start calming you down, you know, and getting in control. <laughs> We may have to start worrying about orderliness. <laughs> we haven't had to worry about that in 30 years. Anybody getting out of order, you know, it just, it just hasn't been a problem. <laughs> and so uh, 
I learned how to praise God, but, but we were never really taught to praise God for ourselves, for the self that God had created. We, we were correctly taught about original sin and the impact of the fall on our souls, and that I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But it's really only been for me in the last decade, really, that I was able to really praise God for his handiwork in me and the person he had made me to be. Uh, for, for a lot of my life, I had a worship disorder. I didn't look in the mirror and praise God for what he had made. I wanted to be different. I wanted to, I, I wanted to, be, um, I wanted to be physically more imposing. I wanted to have a more a, a, you know, powerful voice. You know, I, 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 so I, I, I looked at other people. I look at other people, well, if I could be like them, if I could be like that preacher, the way he preaches, the way he, the way he has stage presence, or they have stage presence. So for much of my life, I didn't look in the mirror and thank God for me. And, and it, what, the, the negative effect it had on me is oftentimes I, w- I would be hypersensitive to criticism. When you're already criticizing yourself, then you're hypersensitive to when someone agrees with you. You really don't want anyone to agree with you. You really want other people to say, oh no, you're, you're really amazing. <laughs> and, and people don't really care about being that person in your life. They just don't want to bear the burden totally of your being. They'd like for you to bear the burden of your being sometimes. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, for much of my life, I had, a, <clears throat> I had a grace dysfunction because my joy and self-satisfaction was... I, you remember I said I started preaching when I was 14? Well, and I, and I, I realize the stuff I'm talking about this morning is, is not your, your, your context. It's the context of being a preacher and a pastor that I'm preaching. So I hope you can extract something from it that will help you, uh, even though it's, this is all about me today. Um, I had a grace dysfunction, and I remember I said I started preaching when I was 14. Well, I discovered a place where I felt secure. I discovered a place where I felt I was okay, and it was up here. I started playing piano when I was 12, and I just, it's a long story. My brother, I'd been playing the guitar, my brother heard me playing the piano, and he, he invited me to play for him, and his wife were singing, singers, and I found out I had something. I had something that other people didn't have at the church, and, and so I started getting some uh, praise for that, you know, and, and it was, they thought it was cool to see this 13-year-old kid playing the piano like uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, which, which, we, which we honored that in our Pentecostal church. It, it wouldn't have worked, Craig, at a Baptist church. They, they would have I remember, I remember we were supposed to go to this church in Missouri, my brother and his wife, and I was going to go with him. And the pastor, it happened to be a lady pastor, so we're very progressive. We've been having women pastors for, for a long time, right? Uh, but she wasn't very progressive because she heard me play the piano and she canceled us. She said, he play, she said his piano playing sounds like a beer hall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but I, 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 found this, I found this place where I could feel value. But the, 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 the problem with that is you can't, God does not want us to place, it doesn't work to place your value on any performance. 
You are valuable because God created you. Full stop. Period. Because God made you and God equipped you and God made you who you are. That's why you're valuable. And God doesn't need somebody who's just anointed when, they, when they're up in front of people preaching or they're playing the piano. God needs people who are anointed every moment of their life in a common conversation and doing normal things with normal people. We, we didn't do a lot of normal things back in those days. We were, we were very spiritual. <laughs> Uh, for much of my life, I think I had a pride problem because I thought success was completely dependent on me, not God working through me. Yeah. And yeah, I knew God could work through those other people, but I wasn't sure he could work through me. Amen. So it was always a, a huge insecurity thing going on. I, I, I'll never forget this. I, I went to Israel. I was about 21, and I went with a group to Israel. And uh, uh, this guy that I... <laughs> I don't remember his name, and, and he barely knew me. I, I don't know. We didn't spend a lot of time together. But, you know, when you, when you go to Israel, one of the things everybody wants to do is get baptized in the Jordan River. So we all lined up to get baptized in the Jordan River. And this guy comes over to me, and he says to me, Phil, you know, I've been watching you, and when you're baptized today, your inferiority, inferiority is going to get buried. Well, um, I don't think he was a prophet because it really didn't happen that day. <laughs> I carried my inferiority around for a long time. You know, I, I love the old joke about the guy who went to the psychologist, you know, to, 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 be, to be analyzed. And when he went through the return visit after the analysis, the psychologist says, well, I have, I have some good news for you. You do not have an inferiority complex. Uh, however, I have some bad news. You're inferior. <laughs> so I just, uh, I could prove to you I was inferior. You know, for one thing, for one thing, my life started kind of, it kind of started bad. I, I, I was almost two months early when I was born. I weighed four pounds, two ounces. And when my mother handed me to my brother, they told me, the, they told me the story regularly. Which was, the, which, was, which was smart. Uh, my brother t looked at me and said, take him. I don't like the way he looks. <laughs> and, and my brother proceeded. My brother's awesome, by the way. I love my brother, and he loves me. We, we, we totally healed all this stuff. But he, he did proceed to torment me for the next 12 years. Uh, his, his entertainment in life was to play practical jokes on me. I think I've talked about this before, haven't I? I believe I've talked about these. Did I tell the RC Cola story? He, he, would, he would put coffee in an RC Cola bottle. How many of you know what an RC Cola is? Come on, come on now. Yep. RC Cola. RC Cola moon pies. I know you, <laughs> I know you had those in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, uh, so he would fill it with coffee and he would act like he's taking a drink and, and I'm going to drink because he knew I was going to do that. And he was like, no. And I would start screaming. And he, yeah, okay. It was, it was coffee. He, 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 he went to the trouble to bake chocolate chip cookies filled with black pepper. <laughs> and the same, he played the same game with that, you know. And the worst thing was the BB gun. <laughs> that we, 
he would say, oh, he would say, Phil, let, let's, let's just shoot each other in the butt. <laughs> and I would say, I would say, sure, let's try it. So, you know, it was a different generation. We didn't believe in being safe. I mean, this is, this is just really, you younger people, you got to understand, this safety stuff is really hard for us. Because we, we, we rode in cars that had hard surfaces, no airbags, no seat belts, no car seats for the kids. We were tough. And we rode bikes without helmets. <laughs> and anyway, uh, I would go walk a few feet away. Uh, I, uh, he, I would walk a few. To, uh, he would walk a few. He usually went first, so I would take the gun and I could never hit him. Then I would walk away. I would go like this, and he would bam. <laughs> he would. I would always. He would never miss. And I found out later. He told me years later the the barrel was crooked, and he knew it. So he knew you had to aim off, right? And, I, and so, I'm not saying my brother had really. Uh, had anything to do with what I, some of the psychological or immaturities, insecurities, I meant to say, that I developed. Now, you can't blame, you know, we are responsible. And, and uh, uh, but, uh, but when those things happen, sometimes you, you, you create, and I know many of you are sitting here today, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you funny stories and things were really crazy stuff, but some of you went through really real abuse, real abuse. And when you, when you're abused in any way, um, Something starts to happen to you psychologically is you think, I, uh, I'm stupid, I deserve it. If I were smart, if I were, I, I, this wouldn't be, I, I, would not, I would not let this happen. And um, th- that's why it's so important to come to church. It's so important to know the Lord because the Lord can heal you and help you. And, th- and there's so much wisdom in the Word of God. Uh, so let me move on. For much of my life, I was afraid to do ministry with my gifts. After all, Rick Warren and Craig Groeschel and Bill Hybels, they were the guys who were having so much success. So I've got, I, I, the, the one thing I would, I, I would probably do even differently is, our, is in a church, in our church, is I would spend less time trying to find out what other people were doing to be successful. And I would spend more time fasting and praying about what God wanted Bethany Community Church to do to be successful. Because you can, and, and, and I know I'm kind of, I'm kind of maybe telling you how the sausage is made. <laughs> we, that's what preachers do. We look at how oh, Rick Warren's running 20,000. Bill Hybels is running 25,000. Craig Rochelle has 7,000 campuses. You know, <laughs> you know, by the way, that, a lot of that doesn't even work in New England. A lot of the stuff that works in Oklahoma and Orange County, California, doesn't even work here. You, a pastor better pray and find out what God wants you to do here. And, and I had a long time to learn that. So Isaiah said, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, I think all the terms we use like self-esteem, self-worth, self-respect, and positive self-image though, I think they're incomplete. And they can even be detrimental because sociopaths have all that in spades. Sociopaths and psychopaths have a lot of self-esteem and a lot of self-respect and a very positive self-image, but they're dangerous, right? Remember, you remember, some of you remember when self-esteem was the magic bullet. 
everything could be fixed. Go back 20 years ago, everything could be fixed with self-esteem. And anybody that did anything dysfunctional or bad, it was because they had poor self-esteem. Now, if you, if you look at the psychological literature now, that is not what they're saying anymore. They found out they were totally wrong, that some people are bad because they like the results of being bad. <laughs> they like the results of being evil, right? So th- those, th- those terms are incomplete, which... which the starting point toward maturity is not self-esteem. Now, we'll talk, uh, we need self-esteem, by the way. We need that. But the starting point is self-awareness. Self-awareness, then self-acceptance. And self-acceptance doesn't mean, hey, I think I'm perfect and don't need shaping up. It doesn't mean that. It means that I accept who God made. I accept the fact that I'm both gifted and incompetent. I'm good and I'm bad. I'm great, and I'm not so great. I have things in my life which I should praise God for and some things which I should repent for. <laughs> That's what self-acceptance means. Self-acceptance means I look in the mirror and I look at the, even my physical frame, which I never liked, and, never, and I wanted a different body. I just wanted, I wanted a different body. I wanted a body transplant. But it's looking in the mirror and say, God, you created this body and you have a special purpose for it. And if you would have wanted me to look like something else, you would have made me look like something else. And this is the body that you want to use for your glory. And, you know, one day day I got to thinking about it. I I got to thinking of uh, all the people who are like major stars who don't look that great. I, I mean, I mean, and I don't want to call any names uh, in the, the world of stars and, and, and news people and famous people. I mean, some of them are just, wow. <laughs> but you know what? I don't know their personalities. Maybe they rejected themselves as well. But it didn't stop them from becoming multi-gazillionaires and having all kinds of success. It's a myth The devil likes to sell you on myths and lies that you need to look a certain way. And this is really a big deal. The church, we haven't done enough talk about our physical bodies and body image because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And God, by his grace, can really help you with this. Won't you let him? Won't you let him? I think I look great now. Okay, let me move on. I'm behind, I'm behind schedule. Can I be behind schedule on my birthday? <laughs> Here's another thing that I'd like to tell my younger self. Love detractors more, but think about them less. Basically, uh, and I'm not saying all critics, by the way. A, a, a friend can be a critic, a wonderful critic who helps you in life. Basically, unholy critics are people who kind of spy on you, silently gathering information they can use against you later, unlike the faithful wounds of a friend. Someone said, in leadership, there are people who are coming toward you and people who are walking away from you. You only have enough tears for those who are walking toward you. Those who love us and love you, and this applies to you too, that want our success, are walking toward us, have earned the right to correct us. The other group is just noise. 
and I used to spend, I, I can't, if those of you are, are close to me, you, we've hung out together, like you know, you, you, you know, you can remember times when I spent way too much time worrying and fretting over people who had their criticisms, maybe some of their criticisms were correct, but maybe they're not, that's irrelevant for what I'm trying to say. One conversation I had with God, though, one day, totally transformed my thinking on this one. Um, and, and, and bear with me, if you, if you uh, I believe whenever a person gets up and says, God told me, then you're opening yourselves up to you judging whether God told them or not. And that's fine with me. So you can, you can say, yeah, I don't believe God told you that. Okay. But I'm going to tell you what I, what I believe I heard the voice of God say one day. Uh, he, I believe I heard God say to me, go to the Bible and look at the one thing that all biblical heroes had in common. So I did. You know what I found out? That they all had more, they all had tons of critics, fault finders, belittlers, dissenters, adversaries, revilers. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. Nobody's killed me yet. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, you were not willing. That's Jesus talking, by the way. Moses, Numbers 12, 1, and they were Hezeroth, the Mary Aaron. That was, his, that was part of his staff. Uh, they criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. Does the Lord, they said, speak only through Moses? They said, does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard this, and you can go read that to find out what happened. Then there's Jeremiah, the incredible prophet of God, Jeremiah. Uh, he said, my enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. I'm doing pretty good. What am I complaining about? Then there's King David, Dean King David, and all over, all over his writings, but I just picked out one. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before me. And then in Psalms 109, 4, he said, For my love, uh, they are for my love. I love these people, but for my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. Then there's Paul. I mean... I always think about Paul, and I always think about all those people that were just criticizing him. I, I, I think if they're all up in heaven right now, I bet they've been apologizing to him for the last, the, the last 2,000 years. I bet every day, Paul, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. <laughs> we, were, we were wrong about you. Yeah, so he said, for some say, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speech is worthless. Can you imagine the man who built the foundation for Western civilization and gave us the, he was the only one who had the complete revelation about God's grace. Imagine writing him a note saying, your speeches are worthless. <laughs> that is hilarious, man. That is, that just, that just is hilarious. So if you feel like your life is over because a bunch of people don't like you, just, you might be one of the heroes of faith. <laughs> See, we humans can't help ourselves. We're restlessly searching for the utopia that was lost in the Garden of Eden and the promised utopia in eternity. So we press every situation, every organization, and every person for the perfection that can't possibly be delivered. 
And if you're going to step out and do anything for God, you're going to run headlong into human discontentment. But I've had to learn to shake it off because most of the time when conflict happens, I'm merely the object of people's discontentment and not the cause. So I'm merely a resource anyway and not a savior. Jesus loves them. And so must I. That's one of the things I would say to my younger self. Love people who hurt you, criticize you, but don't think about them too much. <laughs> Number three, worry as much or more about developing disciples as drawing crowds. This is a... This is a, 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 a <laughs> this is a pathology that pastors have that you probably don't have. Because you're like going, you come to church today, I hope it's not too crowded. <laughs> the pastor's going, man, I hope it's really crowded. <laughs> so I understand that. We're coming from a different place, right? You, you, did, did anybody, come on, did anybody this morning over your morning coffee think, Man, I hope there's a lot of people at church today. <laughs> One, I mean, count, raise your hands again. I, I, you, I want to talk to you after church. Come on. <laughs> You're going to be my best friends. <laughs> but I, believe, I do believe crowds are good. Jesus drew crowds, man. Uh, heaven is... Uh, I, believe when, I, I love it when a big crowd comes together because it's a foretaste of eternity. When the throngs of people... That's why praise and worship is so amazing. When I look around and see all your hands raised in the air, it's a foretaste of when Jesus is up here. When Jesus is on the throne and we are worshiping Him. Man, it, it, don't, don't become anti-crowd. Because crowds are good. Crowds are godly. It's a wonderful thing. But crowds in the crowd is not where you're formed to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a fully formed uh, uh, follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus cared about crowds. He drew crowds. He ministered to crowds. But he built the kingdom on disciples, learners under training. Jesus looked out at the crowds with compassion, and so should I. And we talked about that a minute ago, the throngs of the throne of God. But uh, Forming people, which is what discipleship about, is, 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 is not about performing. It's about forming before crowds. It, that's what that's about. I, I'm, neither, I'm neither disparaging you for wanting to enjoy the crowd or uh, the crowd experience, but there's more, and there's a personal life shaping that's supposed to happen, and it happens one-on-one. -on -one. It happens in, in, in small groups of people. A disciple, let me say this, and this is what we talked about a great deal on our sermon planning retreat. A discipling church is one where there's an army. John, you'll like this expression, an army of alongsiders who personally walk with you through the process of self-awareness, self-acceptance, and self-surrender. That's the third element I forgot to talk to you about a while ago. The third element of, 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 of coming to maturity is self-surrender. Self-awareness. I want, and, and this is so important to me right now, because I, it's, it's a thing that I did not, have not emphasized enough, and we have not emphasized enough, that we need in this room, we need to raise up an army of alongsiders. You know what I mean by alongsiders? Does that term make any sense to you? 
an army of alongsiders who will, who will walk along with people, who will meet them personally and help them in the process of self-awareness, self-acceptance, and self-surrender to Jesus and, and become people who, are, who don't just come to church to perform, but come to church to be formed. Now, does that make any sense? Does that make any sense, guys? But that's where, if I, if I could talk to my younger self, it would be Phil, spend more time. You know, I look at my younger self, and it was all about the weekend. Man, if, if Sunday went good, my life was good. I was a good, I, I, I was worthwhile. If a lot of people showed up, and I felt like, I felt like preaching and not killing myself afterward, <laughs> you know, I was, life was good and life was great because I, I measured everything by this. I mean, if, it was, if it, this didn't go well, like a bunch of you didn't show up or I felt like I preached really lousy, you know, I, I didn't even... It was like, it was like C.M. Ward, uh, who was a national radio speaker. He was a really ama- amazing, funny guy. He, he, he said, there's no way a good preacher can be skinny. He said, because when you preach and you preach on the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you preach good, you want to go eat. <laughs> when, when you preach lousy, you're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want anything to eat this afternoon. <laughs> but that, that just kind of lets you know uh, how, how it is. Uh, today I'm talking about how it is on this side of the pulpit instead of your side of the pulpit. On this side of the pulpit, it's, it can be all about the weekend. But with God, it's not all about the weekend. With God, it's seven days a week. God is, if, if anything, He's more concerned with how you treat your spouse tonight and tomorrow and how you represent Christ at work and school and how you treat your neighbors and how you live your life and, and the moral and ethical decisions that you make all week. I, I, I want to I keep talking about being bigger on Monday and, than we are on Sunday, but I want to expand it beyond just Compassion New England and our outreach, and I want to expand that to being that I want a room full of 24-7 Christians. Yes. Amen? Yes. That deserved more than a golf clap. I mean, come on. <laughs> I got to wrap this up, and I wish I had more time to this last one because it's probably the most important point. But uh, I would certainly say this to my younger self cultivate a few godly friends. And, and I, you need more than a few godly friends, but I'm, this is, you'll understand when I make my point. Cultivate a few godly friends you share your private thoughts with. And darkest secrets with. And I would add to that. Who never support you in resentment. And blame. James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. John 3.19. From the Message Bible says. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed in the world. But men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness. Because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and delusion, hates God's light, hates God's light, and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth, in reality, welcomes God's light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. You know, privacy is a gift that comes with physical maturation. And a reasonable 
amount of demonstrating responsibility. There, there are those who, through no fault of their own, have cognitive or emotional limitations over which privacy has to be withheld. But everyone else, uh, hopefully, uh, has some privacy in your life. Privacy is good. Uh, for most of us, there comes a point where privacy is afforded us, right? But secrecy is a luxury that you can't afford. You can't afford secrecy. I went through, a, it was a number of years and a lot of things and emotions, things that I've already kind of alluded to today where I didn't handle conflict well. I took things very personal and went into a pretty dark place. And uh, I, I wish I had a little more time to talk about that, but I, but I don't. But I, I want to tell you this part of it, this one little story. And uh, I was up, when my office was up there, one day I was sitting in my office, and, and I was, you know, I was in this place. This is about, this is nearly 20 years ago. I was in this place where I had to, I felt I had to perform. I had to preach. I had to do my thing. And uh, I, had, I, I had to be ready on Sunday. But I was going into a deep, dark hole the rest of the week a lot. And uh, I remember sitting in my office, and this is an amazing, and, and I love, Christy, I love the words that song about God. How did it go? God is still working. He, he keeps working. The song you sang a while ago about God works. He never stops working. One, it was a Monday morning. I'm in my office, and I'm praying. I said, God, I can't give you. And, of course, I'm such a preacher. You used to try to make, you know what alliterate means, a, a, a phrase. You know, like you have words that all begin with the same letter. So I actually pray in alliteration. <laughs> and I said, God, I can't give you the product you want. But if you will show me, I will give you the process. In other words, well, I will do what you tell me to do. Even though I cannot feel the joy I, want, I know you want me to feel. I can't stop my brain from talking in, in the images in my brain that are there that I know I don't want there. And I, I don't even remember who was the secretary at the time, but... Dick Germain. She said, Dick Germain's here to see you. And Dick came into my office and he said, Phil, um, I want to start a small group. And w w I'd been a part of a small group before and, I, and there were just dynamics that just weren't working in that group. And so all the, our group completely broke up. And so I hadn't been in a group for a while of pastors. And so, you know, Dick Germain, pastor faith community for 32 years in Hopkins, and a great man of God. I mean, just Dick Germain is, Dick Germain is the most transparent person I've ever met in my life. Still today, I still, I still meet with him every two weeks. I've been meeting with him for over 15 years. And he still will confess things that embarrass the heck out of me. <laughs> and, I mean, he, he is just transparent. And, uh, you know, very challenging to be with somebody who's that transparent. <laughs> and Dick said, uh, I'm starting a group, I, you know, for some pastors that, you know, have churches of like more than 300 because you have some different things to talk about when your church is three to 500 than when your church of 100, right? And then, of course, there's another strata of churches of 1,000, so I, I wouldn't fit in that either. But... Uh, uh, we went to lunch down at Chili's, and uh, I knew this. You know, think about that. Think about that. I prayed that prayer, and an hour later, a guy shows up and said, I want to invite you to a group. 
And I'll never forget one of our first meetings. At some point, we bought this property in Franklin that we later sold. And we had a room. There was an old, a little sanctuary. We would meet every week at that time. And one day, one of the guys, well, I'll tell you who it is. It was Dennis. And I got through talking about something, and Dennis says to me, you sound really angry. <laughs> I'm telling you, some of you are here today, and you're living in darkness, and you have secrets. Don't have secrets. Find somebody that you can trust. You can't tell everybody your secrets. You just, you, you can't deal with, you can't do that. Don't go around telling you, don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> but find God, people that are godly, people that will challenge you, people that will not put up with your resentment, though. That's very important. You can always find people who want to share the blame with you and, and, and encourage you to blame somebody else. This message today is about personal responsibility. It's about what God taught me over 66 years and being, I've been a Christian for 60 years. I accepted Jesus when I was six. And in 60 years, God has taught me about personal responsibility. And there's nothing more important than having people that you confess your sins to. That you, that, that people who can tell you you're wrong. And people who can lead you to repentance. And you know what the way it comes? If we confess our faults when they're pray for them, that you may be healed. You will get healed. You know that's true, Scott. That's Celebrate Recovery is built on this. You will get healed. You will get healed when you become real. You can't get healed until you become real. You can't get right until you get real. And I, I really feel like uh, that's... I, I'm so, I apologize for going way over time today. I apologize. I don't like to do that. I really don't. I, I like to keep my covenant with you about time. And we will, we'll get back to that next week. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll do it right. But, but right now, God is talking to somebody. And I want us to bow our heads. And I want the people in this room, you, I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to come up front. Because I want, but you have, you have darkness in your life. And you have a dark secret. Your spouse maybe, probably doesn't know. Your kids don't know. But God knows. I want you to know. I want you to know a couple of things. Number one, God really loves you. And that's simple, but it's, you need to know that. Number two, God is with you. The Bible says, "If I make my bed in hell, you are there." God is with you. He hasn't left you. He's not as horrified as you might think he should be. He's seen it all before. He's God. And number three, he wants to come into your heart and life and destroy that which is about to destroy you. Well, I'm going to pray for you right now that I'm going to invite Christy to come and close us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, I cast out every spirit of darkness in anyone's life. And I pray, God, that you will bring a Dick Germain into everybody's life. I know that I can't always be that person in everybody's life. I, I'm limited by time and space. I'm not omnipresent. But everybody needs somebody that they can share 
the darkest and deepest and worst parts of themselves with. I pray, God, that a spirit of liberty will overtake this place and a spirit of anointing and power from you will, 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 will rise up and so that when people walk into this building, they will feel a spirit of liberty and freedom and the shackles of sin are being broken. No matter what the world is telling us, God, your word says let every man be a liar and God be the truth. And so we come to you for freedom and peace and redemption and healing. And, and God, somebody here needs to just say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will come and be the Lord of people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.